All right, so if you're staying here, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. I apologize for my weepiness. It's just an emotional week, folks. Uh, you know. Yes, yeah. I've, I've, come, I've, I've reached the hump of life, and now I'm emotionally softer, we'll say. Uh, that's just what's happened. All right, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Hey, let's stand. You've been sitting for a while. Let's stand to honor God's word. So I read it out loud, read in your own Bibles, or it'll be on the screen for you. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the reading of God's holy and errant word, may the grass wither and the flower fade, but may the word of our God stand forever. But you may be seated. All right, we're in the middle of a series that we've titled To Make His Blessings Flow. We sang it this morning in the song Joy to the World. Wherever God's curse is, he is bringing his blessings, and we get to participate in that. We've been called to it, to give our lives to it. And we looked at that for a number of the weeks, some of the activities that are go on if you're going to be a, a part of God's work in the world. But now we're looking at the, the character qualities of, of what needs to be formed in us if we are going to be participating in making his blessings flow. And we're doing it by looking at a number of character sketches from the story around the birth of Jesus. We looked at Zechariah last week and how God cultivated and uh, framed within Zechariah faith. And this week we see how God cultivates submission, submission within Mary. If you're gonna participate in God's mission, you're gonna have to submit. You're gonna have to surrender. In, sh in short, let me tell you what, what happens here in this account. The angel Gabriel shows up and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. The baby's going to be the Messiah of the world, and I'm going to do this right now. My spirit is going to place this child in your womb before you get married and before you're even a man. And what I want to show you here and establish from the very beginning is that this is not simply mind-blowing news to Mary, but this is life-altering news. This is changing the trajectory of Mary's life. And this is not necessarily easy news to swallow. This is terrifying news. God is on a mission, and he is telling Mary she's going to get to be a part of that mission. But understand that the role that God is giving Mary to carry this child, Jesus, will cost her everything that she knows. Everything. 
every comfort, every safe thing, every place of security, possibly every relationship. Mary is most likely between the the ages of 12 and 15 years old. That means she is uh, as young as potentially my daughter who is 12 or some some of your daughters up to 15 years old. Mary is not married. She is betrothed to Joseph. That means she's legally bound to him, but they are not married yet and therefore are not participating in the activities of marriage, and therefore she is a virgin. And so the angel is telling her that she is going to be an unmarried, pregnant, 13 or 14-year-old girl. It doesn't matter what age of the world in which you have lived. That is terrifying news. And it doesn't matter if the wedding is coming soon in order to cover over the fact that she has gotten married outside of wedlock because people back then knew how to count to nine, just like we do. They could connect the dots. And she has to go and have a conversation with Joseph about this pregnancy. Mary says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And Joseph said, what? Who's the other guy? And Mary said, well, it's complicated. Joseph says, try me. I need some sort of explanation And Mary says, okay, well, what would you say if I said it's God's? This is a hard pill to swallow. Do you understand the role God is giving Mary is one that will most likely cost her her marriage? It may cost her her family because they will disown her. She will be considered an immoral woman because she got pregnant out of wedlock and she's now an adulteress. If she actually tries to explain what has happened, she actually will be considered not just crazy, but vl- blasphemous. That at threat here is potentially being dragged outside of her village and being stoned to death. For the rest of her life, Mary will live with a scarlet A on her forehead. Remember when they're arguing with Jesus later on in the gospel accounts, and they're arguing about who really belongs to Abraham. In other words, who's really a true son of Israel? And they said to Jesus, the Pharisees did, we know we belong to Abraham because he is our father, but we don't know who your father is. What are they saying? That Jesus is a, yeah. So let's be clear. God has come to a teenage girl and said that you're going to have a baby, and oh, this baby is going to ruin your life. Your reputation will be ruined, your marriage will be ruined, and then you'll watch him die. This baby will cause you shame, and you will be whispered about for the rest of your life. What mission has God called you to submit to? And in the face of all that, what does Mary say? Be it done to me according to your will. It's stunning. A stunning place of submission. This is submission. This is surrender. And let me ask you this. Have you surrendered your life to the Lord? Are you willing to pay the price to be a part of his mission? My dad used to say when I was unhappy about my food, the food being served at at dinner time in in our household, he would say, son, a follower of Jesus says this, Jesus, where you lead me, I will follow, and what you feed me, I will swallow. Well, God has called you to do, be a part of something far more significant than having to eat spinach rice casserole like I did. God is flipping her life and her story upside down, and perhaps he, perhaps he is doing something that is asking the same of you. Are you willing to submit? You love Jesus, but for many of us, we are seeking to surrender to Jesus, but only on our own terms. We want a negotiated peace. So perhaps you say, my weekends belong to me. Or, no, I, I, I'll give you a lot, but my money, that's mine. Or, I won't, I won't surrender my sexual preferences to you. Or, listen, 
I, I won't surrender my happiness. God, this, these, you're, you're asking me to do difficult things, and if I have to be unhappy in doing that, I can't give that up. But submission is the call this morning. I want to pause it that Mary is not only the example of submission, but he act, she actually shows us, and this text shows us, how we get to that place of submission. How do you learn to submit? The example of Mary is that you learn to submit by pondering, by meditating, and by reflecting, by asking questions and listening to the voice of God. Did you know that the characterization of Mary, more than perhaps any other character in the entire Bible, she is seen as rational, intellectual, and meditative. Everywhere we see Mary doing something, it's like she's thinking about it and ruminating on it. In verses 29, we see that she was greatly troubled, and then she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What that word, discern what this meaning was, is the word dialigzomai, which means she's having an internal dialogue. She's wrestling with the logic of this call. Wait, I'm going to have a baby, and he's going to be the son of God, the Messiah? She's thinking about it. She's simply not just, just swallowing it hook, line, and sinker without having some challenges to her thoughts. In verse 34, we see that Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's asking questions. And then you remember at the, at the end of the birth, the, the birth account of Jesus, that after the shepherds come and they, they, they say, we heard from these angels, and they go out and they proclaim about the good news of the king who has come. And what does it say what Mary does? And she pondered all of these things in her heart. And then in, in Luke 2.51, it says that she also treasured these things in her heart. At least four different times, we find Mary asking questions, thinking hard, meditating over the, what has happened in her life. And so she tries to discern. Some people think that Christians are simply gullible rubes, that we have simply uh, taken what God has given us, we've swallowed it hook, line, and sinker, we've not really thought. And in fact, some people think the way in which you get to a place of submission is to stop thinking. Stop rationalizing. Stop doing the theology. But actually what we see with, with Mary is she does lots of thinking. And it's actually that thinking and that reflection upon God's word that leads her to a place where she chooses to submit. Submission is not some mindless jumping into the unknown. It is counting the cost of discipleship. And by the way, Jesus will say that later on. He'll say, listen, don't just follow me. Quickly, count the cost of discipleship. So this is deeply rational and thoughtful in considering the information, and that is key. But what does she specifically reflect on? What does God give us primarily to lead us to a place of submission? A message of good news. Now, sometimes, sometimes God does do a chokehold on us. There's a few places in the Bible where people refuse to submit and to surrender, <laughs> and God says, you know what, I'm going to throw you on the mat. But the primary way in which God leads us to a place of submission is through good news. And I want to share with you the, this morning the good news that leads up to, the good news that Mary reflected upon and asked questions about that leads up to her place of submission to see if we might get there as well. Three things, three parts of the message. The good news that leads Mary to submission is this. It's that God has given her favor. The favor of God the Father. 
the favor of God the Father. Luke verse 26 and 27, the six-month angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city. By the way, the sixth month is in reference to Elizabeth's pregnancy. So two-thirds of the way through Elizabeth's pregnancy. God comes, the angel comes to Galilee, a place called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. In verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. What's the most often repeated phrase or definition of grace? Unmerited favor. The favor of God, it's an interesting word. It's the root word for another word that we love to use. Favor it. Can you imagine being God's favorite? Does God have favorites? And are you one of them? Are you? Do you have the favor of God? The angel says Mary has favor. This is not a given. You see, the, the primary ways in which we see, most of the times we see angels showing up in the Old Testament, it's no bueno. Ask Sodom and Gomorrah, angels show up, they burn, it's a bad day. All right? The angels often in the Old Testament, that's all that Mary has and knows, they come in judgment. Uh, this, Mary, this angel shows up and goes, I have come to give favor to you. you got to have the favor of the Father. Do you know that God has given you his favor? That he has given you his grace? I, I've experienced this both from God and I've experienced it from an earthly father. We need it from our earthly fathers, don't we? I got a, a letter yesterday from my father and he was writing to me about my birthday. He said, the, he said this after referring, he wrote a number of accounts of little anecdotes from my life as a kid. Then he said, the memories of you in those places that we lived are unspeakably sweet. Watching you grow, teaching you and playing with you are surely the greatest joys of my life. And those joyful memories... 40 again, are not tainted, but only enhanced by the realization of who you are and what you have become. So on this day, December 11, we celebrate you and the mighty mercies of God over the last 40 years, and we celebrate what the Lord has made you to be for his glory and for the blessing of many and for the joy of two grateful parents. I have the, I have the favor of the Father. Do you? Some of you have longed to hear that from your earthly father, and you may never receive it, but this is the offer of the God that we serve. He says, come to me. I extend to you favor, favor. It never gets old to hear God say, I love you too. Now hear this because it's beautiful. Who are the type of people who, who get favor from God? The Marys of the world. Who was Mary? Mary was an impoverished person of the lower class. She was young, between 12 and 14 or 15 years old. She was from Nazareth. Nazareth, Nazareth, Nazareth was a backwater hole. Nazareth was so small, it was never even mentioned in the Old Testament. Nazareth, there was nothing good, one of the disciples said, that could come from Nazareth. Mary is young, poor. She is a nobody from a nowhere place. Oh, and she is a woman. In an age in which women couldn't testify in a court of law, they were bought and sold like property. Their life expectancy was short because of the danger of labor. And the pious religious types would rise each day and they would pray and they would say to the Lord, thank you, God, that I am neither a Gentile nor a woman. She was the lowest of the low. And the gospel couldn't be more blunt. God loves to bestow his favor on the lowly and the poor. Who doesn't get the gospel? 
the proud, the arrogant, the powerful in these accounts. Sam Albury, who's a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, commenting on the hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful. It's one of our favorite to sing, and it's a wonderful hymn. It's a truthful hymn. It says, O Come All Ye Faithful, Joyful and Triumphant. But Albury said, actually, what that should read for most of us is, who God calls is, O Come All Ye Faithless, Joyless and Defeated. Because that's who God calls. If your life is not Instagrammable, then Christmas favor and grace is for you. Mary didn't get favor because she was immaculately conceived or because she was particularly moral, because she had proved some great act of faith. She got favor because favor is, comes from the mere gracious heart of our God. He loves to extend grace. And I want you to see the connection between favor and submission. Isn't this a God that you would want to submit to? Isn't this a God that you would say, if he would give me that kind of favor and that kind of love and that kind of affection, that this is a God that I would give my life to? Those who see that they have received the favor of God, not because they have done something special or because they're particularly beautiful, but simply because of the grace of God, well, those are the people who are most often willing to submit and to surrender to whatever God calls them to do. You see, Mary doesn't submit, and then God says she has favor, does he? The favor comes first, and then she submits. That is how God leads us and draws us into submission. Second, so Mary is stunned. She is startled, and in fact, she is disturbed. It's interesting. Most people are disturbed by the presence of an angel. An angel shows up. They're rather terrifying. They get scared, and they have to say, do not fear. This angel... This angel shows up, and and Mary, it says in the text, she is disturbed not by his presence, but by what he says. She is disturbed and stunned by the favor of God. Now, how can favor be disturbing to us? Well, God's favor can be. Well, sometimes with something so great that is overwhelming, our minds and our hearts aren't able to process it yet, and so it can be disturbing. It can be overwhelming. If we're sitting here, and then all of a sudden a helicopter comes and lands on the front lawn of the church, and secret servant agents walk in, and they say your name, they're saying, listen, the president needs you. We have a task for you to do. His favor has been placed upon you, and he has said, you are the man for the job. You would go, oh, no. It was favor, you've been chosen, but it is frightening. And so the angel has to continue to speak and gives Mary even more to ponder. So here's the second thing we hear that the angel says and that Mary ponders, the vision of God the Son. The angel speaks the vision of God the Son. So we have the favor of God the Father, now the vision of God the Son. Pick it up in verse 30. The angel said to her, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you should call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the vision of the mission that God has given Mary to participate in, the vision of the son. You're going to be pregnant, you're going to have a son, and the angel proceeds to describe the life and legacy of her son, And the angel says some very important things. We're just going to walk through the dialogue real quick. He says, first, his name is going to be Jesus. And these are incredible reminders. Even the very words that he uses. Because the name Jesus means what? Yahweh saves. The Lord delivers. 
Mary is told what God is up to, even in the very name of her child. He said, this is the mission you're going to participate in. You're going to give birth to the one who is going to come and save the world. And she will get reminded of what God is up to in this world every time she says his name. Every time she calls him for dinner. Jesus, she's going to be proclaiming the truth that God's work is being done in this world. And she's going to proclaim the truth that the world needs to hear. God saves. For her, his very identity will put an end to all self-forms of rescue. Every time you say his name, it's going to be like this. Humans can't. God can. Humans didn't. God will. Humans are unable. God is able. God is able to save. So we see it in his name. Second, it says he will be great and son of the most high. Zechariah's son, it's interesting, last week we saw this prophecy about this other son son from this amazing pregnancy that's going to happen, and it's going to be John the Baptist. And the angel, when it comes to Zechariah, it describes John this way, that he will be great before the Lord. Now, what that means is it's a qualifier, that he will be great because God has declared him to be great. This is great that is different, though. Jesus will be great without any qualifiers. He's great in his very character. He's great in all of his attributes. This greatness is different than we understand. This is beyond financial or political or military greatness. This is absolute holy greatness. If you look at the Old Testament descriptions of greatness without qualification, any, any description that is a greatness without qualification, such as before God or before men, that, that description is always a description of God. Because God does not need anybody to declare him to be great. He simply is. And the phrase, son of the most high, makes the exact same claim. David uses that phrase, son of the most high, again and again in the Psalms to refer to who? God. God. The angel is saying very clearly and very cogently, Mary, you're going to give birth to the son of God. That's who you're giving birth to. And then lastly, what's going to happen with this son? He will sit on the throne of David, and he will reign forevermore. There will never be an end to his kingdom. This is a time signature. This is telling us multiple things. Not only will it not end, but it will also, also be expansive. You see, uh, says, uh, Isaiah says it this way. You know, Isaiah, we read Isaiah from chapter 7 and chapter 9 often, and Isaiah describes it this way, of the increase of this king's government, there will be no end. Now, what that means is this. Once his kingdom is established, there is no other kingdom on this earth that will be able to push it back. That means once he's established it here, it's a nonstop rolling of the kingdom taking over the worlds and taking over the the earth. Let me describe it by looking at a negative example. At the end of the 20th century, the United States looked like we were on top. On top of the whole century, we were, we were the, essentially the lone superpower, yet the Berlin Wall had fallen 10 years before. The Soviet Union had crumbled. We were on top. Everything was looking good for the United States of America. The kingdom of America was increasing and expanding in all places of the world. And yet, as... Not within moments after the the, the Soviet Union crumbles, there's a man sitting in a cave that we keep hearing about throughout the 90s. And he says, I'm coming to get you. And what happens? The century turns and the towers fall and we attack. And has it gone well for 20 years? 
We could have done worse, but it's not gone as well because no kingdom on earth lasts forever except for one, and it's the kingdom of God. Do you see the good news the angel gives that leads to Mary's submission? It is the message that a good king is coming, and with this king comes peace that will never end. You see, if we submit to a vision, we submit to a plan, and we ultimately submit to a person, to a king, I get to submit to him. I get to submit to him, this king. We reflect upon his plan of salvation, and submission comes as we are enamored by the vision of what God is doing in this world, that this is what God is doing. Hey, by the way, Christians love to be on the winning team. Now, this makes us really good Americans because we don't like losers. Losers, losers are out. Well, good. Join this team because there's no losing. Even when it looks like we're losing, it usually means God is up to something to be the winner. We are winners as Christians because God's kingdom is forever. And submission to participating in whatever way God has called us to participate in the perfect plan of God comes with this. You get to be a part of taking this kingdom forward. And this is the honor of your life. The honor of your life. Do you see the enormity of the honor God has given to this little girl? She gets to give birth to the Son of God. The announcement of what Mary will do will be that she's going to build something within her womb that will be more impressive than the Golden Gate Bridge. Something architecturally will be framed with her that will be more glorious than the Empire State Building. This is what's going to come from her. It is stunning. And you know what? Are you stunned by the honor of the kingdom vision that you get to be a part of? Paul was. We read this a, number, a couple months back when we were still in Ephesians. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and sharing a little bit of his testimony. He said, of this gospel of the kingdom, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of God's power. To me, though I'm the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. You have the same calling you have the same mission, and it is the greatest honor of your life. Do you see it? That you get to be a part of the endless kingdom of God and to proclaiming the truth of its coming in this world. Now, Mary's response is, okay, how is this going to happen? I'm not married. I'm a virgin. How are you going to accomplish this? Now, a real quick aside. We looked at Zechariah last week. Mary asked, how will this be? She gets no discipline, right? There is no questioning of her belief system. But last week, we said, we see Zechariah asked a question, and he gets struck dumb and deaf. Mary got an explanation. Zechariah got told, that's it. For the rest of the trip, you have to be quiet. Was, was Gabriel, what, like, was he in a grouchy mood that day? Had he not had his Metamucil and his coffee? What's going on with Gabriel? Well, there's actually some significant differences between Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah says, how will, doesn't say, how will this be? That's what Mary says. Zechariah says, how will I know? And the angel's like, I just told you. Mary says, oh, I believe you, but you need to give me some explaining as to how you're going to accomplish this. Gabriel even says that Zechariah is being disciplined because he did not believe. In other words, Zechariah engages in faithless doubt. Faithless doubt responds to God's revelation by saying, that's impossible. I don't believe you. 
Dishonest doubt is fairly closed-minded. It refuses to consider the possibility that God's purposes and God's power are far beyond our own comprehension. Mary's doubt, though, Mary's questions are honest doubt. Mary says, I'm not sure I understand because I'm a human. And sometimes I can't fathom things about God. Help me understand how you're going to make this happen. She's looking for further explanation. This is an honest struggle. She stares upward with awe and says, how can these things be true? I don't understand God, but I am ready to learn. Honest doubts are humble because they lead you to ask genuine questions. They don't put up defiant walls. God is okay with honest questions and honest doubts, so bring them to him. The idea that God takes on flesh and takes on humanity, by the way, this is rather given, you know, it's been a conundrum for the greatest theologians for the past 2,000 years, so I think Mary is in good company. The whole idea that that the Son of God is fully God and fully man has been difficult to chew on for quite some time. And God knows that he is the creator, and he knows that we cannot fully grasp him as the creator, and so God is happy often to oblige our honest questions. He's happy to stoop down to our struggles to help us understand, and so the angel keeps talking. And here's the third thing the angel says that we want to look at this morning. The ability of God the Spirit. The favor of God the Father, the vision of God the Son, and the ability of God the Spirit. Here's what the angel says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. What do we see here? We get one explanation of what God is doing, an illustration of what God can do, and a declarative statement of what God can do. First, the explanation It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of God will overshadow you. Now, very quickly, because there's voyeuristic and often weird people who like to drive these things into 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 what they think is a myth in the Bible. There is no sexual union here. This is not some classic Greek myth where the gods have come down to seek to procreate with humans. What is being described here is something that transcends the natural order, yes, but something that is not foreign to the Bible. The word overshadowed here is the same exact word that is used to talk about the Spirit's work in creation. Remember in Genesis 1, it said, and the Spirit of God hovered over the void. That same word hovered is what is overshadowed. And out of that hovering, God speaks, and what happens? The world is created out of nothing. God did not need Man and what he produces in his loins to help him form an entire world. That's what God is telling to Mary. You think I need a dude to help with this process? The same communication is used to speak of the creational work of God to form every baby in the womb. In Psalm 139, verse 13, David is talking about how he is knit together in his mother's womb. And the psalmist says that he is formed, and it actually uses the word there, covered by God as he is brought together, that same word of overshadowed. In other words, God is saying this, I did this with creation out of nothing, I can do it again in your womb. We see the same concept as actually used about God in the pillar of fire and the the pillar of smoke that leads Israel out of Egypt. 
If they, God leads Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through their 40 years of the wilderness, and there's a, a cloud of smoke or a pillar of fire, and the word that says there is that God with that pillar of fire overshadowed the people of Israel, that God protected his people, and he formed a nation by his own doing. God can protect and oversee her womb. And this is the same idea that happens for us, by the way. What happens in Acts chapter 2? When the disciples are in the upper womb and Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls and he does what? What do they see? Tongues of fire hovering because God is doing what? He's making something new. He's bringing about new creation by his power. Yes, it is beyond the natural order, but it is not a new thing that God is doing here. God has been overshadowing and bringing miraculous birth and life in many ways in the Old Testament and the New. So God, then God illustrates it. Here's what I can do. By the way, I can bring you, make, make you give birth even without a man involved. Also, here's an illustration of what I can do. Your aged Elizabeth, your aunt, she's barren, right? Not anymore. She's six months pregnant. This happens seven times in the Bible. The most famous ones being Isaac, Samson, Samuel, in which God shows up to an old, barren woman crying out, and God says, I'm going to give you a child, an unexpected servant, who will lead the way here. Unlikely mother, unexpected pregnancy, unlikely servant of God. Mary, if I can form life in a barren womb, in a place that has been inhospitable to life up to this point, how much more can I form a baby in your womb? And this leads simply to the final declarative statement, doesn't it? What's the declarative statement? Nothing is impossible with God. Literally, what it says is, for not impossible would be every word with God. In other words, God says, when I speak, it happens. So that's why he's able to bring the creation, created world into being simply with a word, with a word Whatever he says will happen. And the same connotation is seen of the word, for the Lord, word of the Lord does not return void because when God speaks, life happens. He speaks it into the existence. Now here I want to give you, and I'll close this morning with an illustration of this kind of power of God that's able to do, do nothing can stop it. And in fact, that God often in his power, he just likes to flex. Every, now, he doesn't flex in the way that we think he ought to. We think he ought to come down with lightning bolts out of his, you know, and fire coming out of his eyes. That would be flexing in our mind. God says, no, no, God's far more literary, has a much more literary beauty than you and I have. He says, I'm going to come into the worst places. I'm going to do something mighty. I'm going to come in and I'm going to bring redemption with two hands tied behind my back. Let me, let me show you what's going on here. Let me see if I can illustrate the power by showing what God is doing in the context of the whole story of the Bible. This is not the first time that we have seen an angel speak to a woman who is without child and all of history changes. Here's the pattern. An angel shows up, he gives a message, there is a woman without child, and then a curse happens and history changes. Now, where did that happen? Genesis chapter 3. An angel, see, the devil in other places is called a fallen angel. And he gives a message, not of truth, but of lies, to a woman who has had no children. She believes this false message, and what happens? She and her children and the very ground they stand on is what? 
cursed. And history changes forever, right? Well, not quite forever. Luke 1, God now sends a true angel with a true message to another woman who has had no children, and she believes the message, and history changes again. But why does history change? Because this child has come to reverse the curse. Where is the curse? The curse we see with Jesus is found at the cross. You see, what is the mark of the fall in Eden? What do we sing about? Thorns. Thorns is the mark of God's curse on the world. Right? Thorns, what do we sing in joy to the world? Thorns no more shall infest the ground. And so upon the head of this child will be placed a what? A crown of thorns. Thorns will be jammed onto his head. And what is God saying? That I will jam the very marks of the curse in this world down upon my son that I might bless this woman and all women and their children and bless the very ground that they stand upon. In other words, the cross is an intentional mocking of evil. It's God is saying, you, he's saying to the evil one, you thought you won by coming and lying to the first woman. Well, I have come to the very place you thought you won way back then. And I will work through a second woman, a small woman, a nobody woman, and through her seed, this child will bear, she will bear, will reverse the very curse that you helped bring into this world. And God looks at the devil and said, you are a fallen angel, and you came to a sinless woman, and I will come to a sinful woman, and I will still bring about my redemption. That's Jesus flexing. And I will send him to a cross, and he will what to the evil one? He will crush your head. This is the power and the plan and the favor of God, that God mocks evil by taking a playbook, taking a play right out of the devil's playbook. That's what he does. He, he's like, ah, oh, this is too easy. How about, what, if I, what if I mock the evil one by taking one of his plays, the play that he thought was his Numero uno play, and I'm going to take that, and I'm going to use it against him. I'm going to send a true angel and a true have a, have a, to a woman. And so it says this in Colossians 2, God made us him alive, speaking of Jesus, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's the curse. He nails the curse to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities. And what does it say? He puts them to open shame by triumphing over them. In other words, what God is doing, his power is so great by his spirit and in his son. This is not a partial win. This is not a photo finish. This is not God having to sweat it out, wondering if he is going to be triumphant. He puts his hands behind his back. He uses the devil's very playbook and he says, I'll beat you here too. This is my power. From the angelic announcement to a woman to a cross of death, this, the plan of God's salvation, is an intentional mocking of the evil one and a flexing of God's power as God reverses the curse and he redeems the story of the world. So let me call you to this. One final call this morning. You submit to being a part of a larger story, will you? God is doing something, an amazing story in this world. Will you submit and be a part of it? 
God comes to Mary and says, I am reversing the story that is being told here. I am redeeming history. I am bringing salvation, and I want you to be a part of it. Now, it will mean your life, Mary, will be flipped upside down. And Mary says what? I am your servant. Literally, in the Greek, it says, I am your bondservant. Be it done to me according to your will. So let me ask you, what stories might God be rewriting in your life? He loves to flip the script. In what ways is God redeeming your life and your city and your family in this state? What stories might he be reversing in this world? And where is God asking you to do something that might alter the course of your life? And he's saying, but if you will submit to this, there is joy in being a part of my kingdom work. He is changing your plans, but he's doing so in such a way that he is inviting you to be a part of a grander story in this world. And so perhaps you need to say today, maybe you know specifically what he's calling you to do. I am the bondservant of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your will. And perhaps you need to say that to him right now. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, where you feed us, what you feed us, we will swallow. But even more importantly, where you lead us, we will follow. Heavenly Father, I pray that the grace of Jesus, that the beauty of the kingdom of God and the power of God who is with us would enable us in this moment to whatever, wherever we are, whatever we're thinking about that you might be calling us to submit to, some difficulty whether it appears to be life-changing or not, Lord, would you help us now by your spirit to submit that our eyes would be on you, that our ears would be open to your message and to your call. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.